From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike Douglas here with you, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and, of course, our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, and uh, the Energizer Bunny, John, uh, with us tonight as well here at Advancing Vibrant Communities. A great welcome to those of you especially uh, joining us overseas. Great to have you with us. And every week, it seems like, Elaine, uh, we get reports. Now, we don't exactly know where people are, but they do tell us what countries they're in. And uh, Canada recently popped Whoa. up on the radar screen, so All we right welcome now. those of you listening in Canada and, and Germany and uh, uh, Israel. We, yes. what, a, what a joy mm-hmm. to have you with us here on Lighthouse Live. And uh, tonight, friends, we're going to honor uh, veterans but also unpack mm-hmm. uh, a, a very, very important topic, and uh, we're going to explore it tonight, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder and uh, a wonderful, wonderful resource in our area, the Modesto Veterans Center, and uh, our friend Steve Lawson is here with us, and he's going to introduce us to a, many more new friends as well, That's and we we'll look forward to, to that. Before we uh, meet these new friends, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about some more real-life Jesus freaks. Recently, a mob of Muslim extremists attacked a house church outside Jakarta, Indonesia, smashing windows and throwing bricks at Christians. The Indonesian government, which claims to support freedom of religion, is not actively pursuing justice, because apparently this house church is not acknowledged by the government. According to the law, any house of worship is required to have a minimum of 90 members and the approval of at least 60 neighbors. In Indonesia and around the world, often laws are written to prevent Christians from meeting in small groups to worship and study God's Word. For more insight from the Voice of the Martyrs, go online to persecution.com. And back with you live here on Lighthouse Live. Again, uh, welcome to you. And, uh, friends, if you're uh, local here in the uh, Modesto or San Joaquin County areas, uh, love to have you check our website for new opportunities to serve. Of course, you can check our daily update page at www.vibrantcommunities.org. That's vibrantcommunities.org. Click on the little red flashing icon for the daily update page, and Elaine updates that uh, several times a day. And, uh, again, some great new opportunities to serve serve as well as some thank yous for those of you who uh, serve uh, those in need in our area so well. All right, now let's check in with Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, 
the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. San Diego Unified School District's board is under heavy pressure from the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. You see, these groups want a 20-year policy of parental permission for students to leave campus for any reason overturned. They cite so-called medical emancipation statutes, which allows minors to obtain reproductive health care, translate abortion, without parental notice or consent. Let students seek that care outside of school hours. It is certainly not the job of schools to be facilitating abortion services. Pacific Justice Institute's Pete Lepiscopo is on top of it and has offered PGI's free services should the district face legal action for upholding parental rights. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And it's time to take a look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way's Lend-A-Hand List, an opportunity for volunteers everywhere. Bethany Christian Services is having their Valentine's Dinner Fundraiser, and that's coming up, guess when, February 14th, Valentine's Day. It's a time where they invite the community to treat their sweethearts and a waiting child at the same time. They do a wonderful service there at Bethany Christian Service. Uh, enjoy a lovely five-course catered prime rib dinner. Here we start out with food once again uh, for two and a private residence for Valentine's Day benefiting Bethany Christian Services. Uh, volunteers are needed from 9 to 5 to prepare the meal uh, and between 5 and 9 to serve the dinner at various host homes. Volunteers are needed to be at least 18 years of age and then uh, 15 years of age to serve dinner, Mr. Al's going, oh, darn. <laughs> <He has it. laughs> Volunteer training will be held on Saturday, February 9th from 10 till noon. Uh, Bethany Christian Services is a Christian ministry, a not-for-profit providing adoption and family services. Uh, Faith in Action program of Oak Valley Hospital District where you can lend a helping hand to older adults and their caregivers. Now, volunteers are needed to assist frail, elderly, or chronically ill uh, clients with simple chores, grocery shopping, friendly visiting, and providing uh, a respite for caregivers. A huge need here in this area, friends. Volunteers set up a mutually convenient schedule uh, with their clients and meet with them a couple of hours a week. Drivers and male volunteers are especially needed here. Younger volunteers age 16 are also welcome, but they need to provide their own transportation. Now, volunteers using their own vehicles need to have California driver's license, of course, proof of insurance, and three references as well. Initial and ongoing training is provided. The Faith and Action Program helps the aging maintain their independence by providing respite care, friendly visits, and assistance with chores and activities. Youth for Christ, Central Valley, where you can invest an hour a week mentoring and making a difference in the life of a child. Uh, Youth for Christ is partnering with Ceres Unified School District to place about 75 adult mentors with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students. Mentors enrich their own lives while sharing every day activities with the kids, uh, with movies, reading, homework, hiking, shopping, talking, and lots of fun, just listening and more. Very important. Uh, The hours, again, are flexible and set up uh, with mentor uh, and the child. Volunteers must pass, uh, pass a fingerprint background check. Uh, and you want to volunteer at least a few hours a month. And uh, YFC is a faith-based community organization. You know, Youth for Christ just does a tremendous. Great people. Uh, there, you man. bet. Absolutely. And uh, they seek to establish relationships, and that's, again, what it's all about, those all-important relationships with young people uh, in over 200 cities, actually, across our great nation and in over 100 countries uh, worldwide. Through these relationships, uh, Youth for Christ seeks to introduce people to um, to faith and uh, to infiltrate them into becoming a part of the local church. And if you have any questions about any of these 
activities, we invite you to uh, call our good friend, Barbara Borba, and you can reach her at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, 209-524-1307, extension 113, or you can always give us a call here at the ABC office, 209-544-9571. want to mention real quickly our good friends at Team Challenge, getting ready to have uh, their big spaghetti feed. Uh, Teen Challenge, a faith-based recovery and restoration program with locations uh, in both Turlock and Ceres, having their big spaghetti feed sponsored by the Kiwanis Club of Greater Turlock. And it's going to be held uh, at 893 Lander Avenue in Turlock Thursday, the 21st of February, 5 to 8 p.m. Tickets available at the door for $6 for adults, $5 for seniors, and $4 for children 12 and under. Carryout is available. That's good. Support Teen Challenge and Restoring Men and Healing Families if you want more info on this, you can call 209-238-0216. Again, 238-0216, the phone number on that. And tomorrow, February 5th, this is coming up really quickly, and they've changed the date on this, but this is Adopt-A-Grandparent Day, and we just really, really encourage you to get involved with this. It takes place at English Oaks Nursing Facilities uh, from 3 to 4 p.m., 2633 West Rumble Road in Modesto, where you can adopt a grandparent for an hour, a great worthwhile thing to get involved with for our volunteers. Uh, and the theme for tomorrow is Carnival Games. Call Don at 209-577-1001, extend 7677. Again, call Don at 209-577-1001, extension 7677. And that's a great thing to get involved with. Well, our guest tonight is making a big difference in the lives of many people and uh, has been for a long time. And as we welcome back our dear friend Steve Lawson uh, to Lighthouse Live, we just want to say a big welcome. Team leader at Modesto Vet Center. Steve, it's so great to have you back, and thank you for taking time out to be with us tonight. Well, thank you, and I'd like to thank uh, you and also Pastor Mike for inviting us here. You want to get real, real close to that microphone, Steve, and let's make sure that that is uh, pushed in all the way and turned on and all of those good things right there. So I'll that's, try that uh, again. Thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> that little button gizmo is so important. We're glad that you're here and turned on and everything. And uh, your office has changed locations since we last saw you, and uh, you want to bring us up to date on that? Well, in actuality, we've got a new office. Yes. Uh, the, uh, I now work for the Vet Center, which is a... Uh, system within a system, you might say, of the Veterans Administration, and uh, we only do one thing, and uh, we specialize in that, and that's provide uh, counseling for uh, combat vets with post-traumatic stress disorder. We're glad to have you here, and we have a whole host of friends with us tonight, and we want to get to uh, absolutely each and everyone, and uh, just want to first say a big thank you. I know that uh, Mr. Al, during prayer time tonight, uh, said thanks to everybody who served this great country, Amen. and that's just a, a huge thing because I, I don't think we hear those words enough, and uh, I, I think that we should hear those words every single day uh, of our lives, uh, those who have served this great country, and I hope that uh, each of you do hear those words. I hope you hear thank you, and I hope that you hear welcome home every day. Steve, let's uh, talk a little bit about the history of the vet centers and uh, how you 
felt the call to become involved. <laughs> and by the way, we, we just affirm God's calling for you in this. Wow, yes. what, what an important, yes. important role. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm going to uh, kind of break it down. And I'll, I'll talk about my history getting here. And then also I'd like for Pauline, who is our office manager, to give the history of the Vet Center. But uh, uh, after I got out of the service in 1993, uh, I started working with veterans uh, from 1974 to 1978 uh, at a, uh, like a service office, basically. And I've never stopped. <laughs> and so uh, uh, my last job was working uh, with a congressman to working with veterans and military, and that's how I met some of these fine gentlemen, not all, but some of them. And uh, so basically uh, uh, some friends of mine who work at the County Veterans Service Office said uh, there's a job coming up at a veterans center, and I knew about the, that it was going to open, and they said you need to apply for it. So I did, and here I am. <laughs> Pauline, talk a little bit about the history of the Vet Center, and, and uh, we've got what over two hundred in uh, across the U.S. and Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam. How to, obviously, an important integral part of our service to our, our vets. Bring us up to speed on, on how this came to be. Uh, yes, we have over two hundred and nine actually with uh, vet centers in Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and Guam. With uh, twenty three new vet centers have been authorized. Uh, and we are actually, actually now it's 210 because we just opened up, so now it's 210. Amen. Congratulations on the new opening. Now, I understand this building is huge, something like 3,000 3, square feet. Wow. It's beautiful. The furnishings are all brand new, and we're just there to serve the veteran. Let's talk about this d distinction between the VA and what people normally think of and, and the vet center. And I understand there's some integration there, but let's talk about some of the uh, differences and, and uh, especially the importance of this focus that you have. Well, what we do is the, the PTSD counseling. We also offer some counseling for um, family members who have lost people in Iraq. Uh, we offer bereavement counseling. Mm. Oh, wow. We do sexual trauma counseling also. Mm. Uh, we do offer uh, referrals within the community for different services as well as um, referrals to the medical center for other issues regarding health issues, uh, not mental health specifically. But we do uh, a lot of things within the community to get the veteran involved with the VA. We try to get them within the VA. We try to get them into a vet center where they will be getting help and assessment for PTSD. Are you starting to see more and more people come into the center, Pauline? Yes. Yes. Uh, we've been open two weeks, but actually uh, we were working temporarily out of the black building. Okay. And okay. as of now, we're within a month. Yes, a month, we have uh, 30 new clients. So that's one a day. Wow. Wow. That's and, one a day. That's and people are coming from all over, all over the tri the tri county area. We're talking about the Central Valley. So you're talking Stanislaus County, San Joaquin County, San Joaquin County, Merced County. Great. Uh, we have people coming from all the, this tri-county area and people of all ages of all ages all um we have iraq to world war ii and how how do they have to qualify pauline what basic qualification to qualify they only have to have been a combat veteran 
that's their only qualification necessary. As we start today, and, and you know, we throw PTSD around, and I'm a former government geek, and you know, we were we were <laughs> we were big on you know acronyms and that sort of thing. Let's lay the groundwork uh, for for those who may be listening today, maybe not too familiar with uh, post traumatic stress and and what's involved. Let's talk a little bit, uh, Stephen Pauline, about. Um, what post-traumatic stress is, uh, how it's recognized, the symptoms, and then uh, let's get into meeting some of our, our guests tonight and kind of unpacking uh, the value of the Vet Center and, and how this impacts their lives. Great. Thank you. Mike, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, basically, post-traumatic stress uh, by itself is what we would consider as a normal set of reactions to a trauma, such as war, uh, and, and there's other traumas that people can come in and, and, and face with. But when... People uh, uh, tend to uh, block the memory, suppress it, not deal with it. Uh, time goes by and these feelings and these issues are not dealt with and as a result, a disorder kicks in. And that's what we, where we come up with the post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's interesting, my guest today, uh, we were talking at Korea, no one knew what it was called. It had different names, shell shock, battle fatigue. That also happened with the... Uh, Vietnam vets too. I know in my when I was working, we didn't really know what to call it. It was called delayed stress, and then years later, it became post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. But the same symptoms, right? The, the symptoms were the same. It's just we finally got a name to it, and we knew that it had what we call symptomatology and pathology, uh, and it fit within a medical model, or a medical uh, psychological psychiatric model, and had care and had treatment, and became a, a recognized disorder. Uh, I can go through some of the symptoms, if you like, and especially the listening audience. They're going to want to know sure. about these types of symptoms. Uh, and, and I'd first like to start off with it, the onset is with trauma. That's the one thing that distincts, distinguishes PTSD uh, or from any other mental disorder. <coughs> and these symptoms that occur look like anger and irritability, uh, rage, nervousness or anxiety, depression, Difficulty trusting others, uh, survivor's guilt, and often shame, mm. a startle response, and what that means on hyper alert, alert which w w something like a, a backfire of a car would send a person under uh, <laughs> looking for cover as an example, grief and sadness, recurrent memories, and sometimes these memories come in at, the, at just intrusive times. We call them intrusive memories. Isolation, people tend to want to be alone. Loss of pleasure, uh, meaning that things that would normally bring uh, happiness and joy to a person, uh, oftentimes they, they just feel flat and inability to enjoy uh, things or have pleasure. A low tolerance to stress, generally speaking, a feeling of being overwhelmed. Authority problems. Nightmares, and these nightmares can in include night sweats and uh, things of that nature where a person wakes up with a start and they're swinging like crazy. Substance abuse, uh, to numb pain, uh, go numb. Uh, sleep difficulties, going to sleep, waking up in the middle of the night and getting a few hours of sleep, uh, anxiety, and uh, paranoia. And if a person has uh, four or five of these, and if they're a combat veteran, they should probably come and see us or uh, go see a service officer at the Veterans uh, Center or the VA. Now, this may sound like a, a strange question, but can any of this be considered normal? <laughs> it's actually all considered normal okay. to PTSD. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Here, yes, you know, yes, exactly. Uh, and I think that that's something that I'd like to kind of say this that to my clients and stuff. When you're, when you have these set of symptoms, 
and you live in what we call the world, in other words, mm -hmm. society, you feel so abnormal, and oftentimes you feel crazy. I know because I had this at a time, and it, uh, you just feel crazy, and you don't fit, and it doesn't feel right. And yet when people come into our office, every one of these symptoms and every single person can relate to the other because this is normal in the vet center. And that's really what separates us from any other type of service entity. Now, going back, uh, and by the way, we'll be using first names uh, for those of you listening uh, right. for, uh, you know, confidentiality here on the, on the program today. Uh, before we introduce your, your friend, Steve, let, let's go back to, say, World War II. And, you know, I got a friend that was, was there on D-Day, you know, and he stormed the beach. And going back that far and proceeding into the Korean War, what happened to folks who were having these symptoms, but we really didn't, uh, we weren't recognizing the pathology, we, we uh, didn't, haven't really unpacked it yet. What did the, what did the society to say to these people? Just kind of suck it up and get better? Or what, 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 what was happening to many of these people at that time? Well, I think it's yes and yes. And it, yeah. without uh, belaboring on one point, if we recall, General Patton one time yes. uh, slapped a man in the helmet and called him a coward and mm. very, uh, not not exactly in those words in his language, yeah. and uh, basically, uh, and that dates back to World War One and, and uh, uh, the Civil War, even to where people were seen as cowardice or weak or something like that. They've even have history of shooting men who have mm. suffered from these symptoms. Mm. Upon coming back, it was just called shell shock or battle fatigue, and uh, frankly, uh, and, and by the way, this goes into Vietnam too. I mean, this goes sure. back into Vietnam as well. The same thing. Uh, we used to say that they were just swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a result of, I believe, the Vietnam vet, uh, who, by the way, are 85% of my clientele, and that's in just about all of our service centers, um, we have come to find and come to understand that it is now called post-traumatic stress disorder with pathology, with symptomatology, and an actual uh, psychological disorder. Mm. And I would imagine the impact upon family is great, and I, I assume that there's a holistic approach to this. Uh, it's not just uh, the, the vet, but uh, the family has to understand all of this as well, right? It's very, very, very much so, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, this is what we call contagious in its own right because mm -hmm. it does affect loved ones, and it affects them in a great way. And that's why we at the vet center, we do bring in the families uh, to work with them as well. And... Uh, uh, I would say that going back to uh, Elaine's situation, d is this normal? It is absolutely normal. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the difference being that with the trauma, individuals tend to suppress the memories or put them behind or numb them and not deal with them. And that's something that's different between uh, all prior wars and the one that we're in right now. Uh, and Rudy's here today to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things where they really do have a much, much better handle on keeping the soldier in the field, you know, boots on the ground, from experiencing these things quite as much. It still happens, but it's it's better. Is is the military uh, more sensitive now to this and a little more proactive? Uh, I can tell you from where I came from, absolutely yes. Yeah. And thank okay. God that's And they the all, case. thank yeah. God, it's saving absolutely. lives. I, with us, I know in my generation, uh, of course the Vietnam vet, uh, I always say we lost a generation of men. Mm. and women because of all these types of traumas and their families suffered too. So. How, how sad that, mm -hmm. that that was the case indeed. Well, Steve, do we want to get to uh, bringing some of our guests in? Please, I'm how, honored do, to bring is there, these. Is there a particular order that you would like to do that in? Rudy, okay. let's uh, let's talk uh, with you a little bit. And, and first of all, give us uh, 
your history, where you served, and uh, in, in what, uh, what branch of the service? Uh, I've served with the uh, active army, and uh, when I went over to Iraq, I was uh, with the National Guard, the Cal Guard. Um, I was over there in 2004, 2005 with uh, what called OIF-3. And what does that mean, OIF? Uh, Operation Iraqi <laughs> Freedom 3. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, you completed a full tour. Um, uh, no, I note here uh, heavy combat did with a, insurgents and terrorists. And did a lot of, lot of patrolling, uh, a lot of IED sweeps, uh, site security. Okay. Um, actually playing policemen, chasing guys down during curfew violations. Um, got a lot of mortar rounds shot at us. So, yeah, it was uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Rudy, when did you notice or when, when could you tell that you started having problems from combat? Um, I had to come home about a month early because, uh, you know, some family issues. And uh, <clears throat> I was basically my – I was the platoon sergeant for my guys. And mm. when you're doing that stuff daily, you, you get real close. You know that when you get out of your vehicle that you're covered. And um, when I left, I wanted to leave, but I didn't want to leave. So when I came home, I stayed in contact through email with my lieutenant. And uh, about three days after I left, they we got hit for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily, nobody was injured. But I stayed up for about four days, uh, making sure that they were all right. Mm. And how did you get connected with the, uh, the vet center? Uh, well, I went to the, the veteran services office, and uh, I took my wife with me because sometimes I'm a little forgetful. Uh, and I don't know if it's really forgetful. I just don't want to deal with it. Sure. And um, she was going through my medical file and saying, you know, yes, you do have some hearing problems. And, and then uh, she said, what about uh, PTSD? And I'm like, well, maybe. And I had my wife next to me just nodding her head mm. really wildly. And so uh, then uh, she called up Steve and referred me over to him. And uh, uh, it's a good deal. Sounds like one of the key elements here was good support from your wife. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. We've been married 24 years. And uh, oh, she uh, makes sure that, it, uh, you know, I can see folks that I need to take care of this. Mm. Rudy, what would you say to other, other veterans that uh, might need to seek help in the same way that, that you did? How would you encourage them uh, today? Swallow your pride and do it. Because mm. it's, mm. uh, you know, if, if you've got a family, it's real important because there's nothing more important than them. And if you let them go because of not wanting to deal with it, then, you know, it's not a good thing. Mm. What, uh, aside from, from your wife uh, emphasizing the need uh, to get some help, what, what kind of was the tipping point for you where you said, yep, okay, I, I, I need to address this and I'm willing to accept help? Uh, I would go through cycles where I wouldn't sleep for four or five days. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I'd get real irritable with people, very, very short. Uh, of course, everyone around me told me, no, that it was worse than that. Uh, I become really hyper vigilant, uh, always sitting with my back to the wall and watching the doors, mm -hmm. uh, looking for bombs on the road, things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would just get a little out of hand. And so, you know, when I saw the Veteran Services office, and you know, with my wife there, it was like, okay, 
Got to go. What a blessing that you're here with us, Rudy. And John sitting right next to you, sharing a microphone. Welcome, John. We're so glad that you're here. You're here from the Vietnam conflict. Yes, I am. Correct. And United States Marine Corps, is that correct? That's correct. And you served during Tet Offensive. I've heard of that. My husband was there during Tet. Yes. Tell us about your experience. Um, Wow. Where do I begin? Uh, in country, um, 67 uh, was uh, got on a truck, uh, headed out the Hill 55, 7th Marines Infantry, and on the way out, the guys told me, "Don't worry about it. You're going to get shot at." Sure enough, we did. I didn't really think much of it, honestly. I, I, and then, uh, you know, I worked in communications there, and uh, it was out about 20 miles south west of Da Nang. Uh, it, it was just a matter of, of, it was just the way it was. We would get hit a lot with mortar attacks, with rocket attacks. Uh, during the Tet Offensive, it was a two-week period in which we had 24-hour light at night. We would just throw up flares continuously. Twice we had the fit, f- f- um, fixed bayonets that they were, the NVA were that close, we could see them. You know, I don't remember a whole lot. I didn't sleep a whole lot. Um, I can remember being in the bunkers and guarding, and uh, it could be very stressful. Probably the most stressful time that I had that really caused uh, the problem, because after a while, you just get kind of used to that kind of stuff. You just look out from the hill, really a molehill, and you see the fights and the napalm, and it's just like, oh, it's just another day at the office. Uh, but anyhow, I had to go over to 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, and I had a, I had to carry a secret, top secret communique, and only by hand. And I was picked out to, to go with two other guys, and, um, I was really on edge because I knew it was in, I had to go through enemy territory. It was like going through, swimming on the other side of the Nile River, seeing all the crocodiles, and you just mm-hmm. say, no way am I ever going to make it. Yeah. And so we off we went, and of course the heart is beating, and we're gone, and then we got hit, and we got hit hard. And I never experienced such fear in my life before or since. The round went right by my ear. I could feel it, and I could hear it. And then I get, I had an experience that I just a little bit understand what the afterlife is like. Because I had a vision, but it's, you know, it's called light, uh, your near-death experience, sure. mm-hmm. and it's just like looking at you. Mm-hmm. My whole life went before me, mm-hmm. and that was that peace, total, complete peace, mm-hmm. like nothing was happening for, I thought, maybe two hours. And it was just glorious. But then I was back in the battle like nothing, you know, no time. And what had happened was that for a long time I carried a lot of guilt for that because I thought I carried, I thought I'd, I hid my head, my I head in the sand, I froze. But working with Steve and then going through some pictures, I found out that, you know, I had no magazines left. I had no, which was about 120 rounds because air support was called in and they're just not flying around looking for something. You have to call them in and just, and then blew the rest of them away. And that's, was an experience that really, really was hard on me. You know, and, and then there was others, but, but that was the one. 
And so um, it's just that you, it's like Iraq in a sense. You don't know where they are, and it drives you nuts. Mm. And I would imagine as, as you came back, especially having that near-death experience and that um, two-hour, whatever it really was, that, that two-hour time frame that you sensed, Hard to explain that to people and relate it. And, and so how did you deal with, how, how did you deal with that particular thing where probably not a whole lot of people you were an, interacting with understood? I just shared that with my wife and maybe another person or two. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't share it with too many people because I knew they wouldn't understand. Sure. And, um, I just never shared my life over there with anybody until Christmas last after almost 40 years. I decided that my family needed to know what I went through and the awards that I was given as a unit and as an individual. And they were just stunned. Uh, I just never would talk about it. I just kept it to myself, and I just didn't want to talk. And I, but I finally I knew I had to, I had to open up after 40 years. Wow. Bless your heart. We've got so much more to share, and that we will be doing. You know, no one can administer the soothing, healing rain in the form of a song the way Michael W. Smith can. And we'll be back right afterwards here on Lighthouse Live. Healing rain is coming down. Is coming nearer to this old town. Rich and poor, weak and strong, it's bringing mercy.
Healing Rain, Michael W. Smith on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and our great group from the Veterans Center, good friend Steve Lawson, and a whole host of great friends with us tonight, men who have served your great country here with us. And I'll tell you what, it's just a a privilege to have them here and an honor. And uh, we just want to welcome you wherever you may be listening and uh, hearing some great stories and unpacking some uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome tonight and just kind of taking a look at uh, how it has affected the personal lives of each of these men and uh, the help and the hope that has come about for them. And Steve, we want to thank you once again for joining us. And uh, it's just a a great thing that uh, the center has come about here in Modesto, just opening up. Congratulations once again. And let's give the location out once again and tell people how they might access the hope here at the center. Well, that's probably, uh, accessing is one of the easiest things in the world to do. Uh, (laughs) We'll find you or you'll find us, one or the other. But our new address is 1219 North Carpenter Road, Suite 12, and that's in Modesto. And I'd like to give the phone number yes, out. Uh, this is this is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, uh, 800 number, toll-free. Okay. So anybody that has any desire to contact the Vet Center, no matter the location, and we mentioned that we've got them throughout the United States, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and Guam, uh, and Hawaii, uh, of course, uh, is 1-800-496-496. 8838 and again that's a 24 hour 7 day a week number again 800 496 8838 we also have a website and the website is www.vetcenter.va.gov and i'm sure we'll be saying that a few more yes, times at least I i'd like to i certainly hope so now can people come and tour the center like can we come over they absolutely can and you oh, are invited too I would love so to uh, do that. uh we we really we have not had our grand opening as yet oh. we will and you guys are of course invited uh Thank but we are invited. open hey. <laughs> that's right we're open for business <laughs> and we would love it if people came in our, our our biggest thing is that it's not just that we want to bring the center to the community but we want to bring the community to the center these men that i brought and of course our our our, our female veterans out there too yes. these are our family these are our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our our our, our loved ones, and so forth. And and so, um, uh, I'm hoping that the communities will absolutely embrace this. These vet are center. our neighbors. These Hello. are our neighbors. These are uh, these are us. Yes. <laughs> you know, Steve. This brings up an interesting point. And and before we meet our our, our next friend here, uh, what about a family member? who may be listening and saying, whoa, man, I'm seeing that in my husband or I'm seeing that in, in my wife uh, and may think, man, they're going to really get ticked if I call. What what do you say to the family member that may be going, wow, I, I can see some of this stuff happening in my house? Well, I'm hoping that they'll listen to the radio station for one thing. <laughs> Let's start with that. Uh, th- this is not an uncommon response. In fact, this is a very, very, very common response. And so what I would say is that it's always worth it to try. And I believe that, uh, as in the case of several of the men here, that they came because someone who loved them didn't give up. They just mm. continued to say, go in. Uh, there's help available. And there is help available. And so... Uh, that's the thing I would say that one of our mottos is that we have help without hassles. You come to see us and, and we will help you. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And uh, we have centers throughout, uh, easy to find. And uh, I, I think that the most important thing is that if you love them 
and you care for them and you see that they're suffering, they are suffering. And it's a lot, lot deeper than what pe people would really, really recognize. Mm -hmm. Those who that live with them know. But it's worth it to get them in because freedom is there. We can, we can, we can help. And a lot of times taking that first step. That first right? step is the biggest one. <laughs> you bet. These men I brought will tell you that. Hmm. Absolutely. I can see it. John's nodding his head and Rudy too. And, and now we come to Phil. Phil, thank you for coming and, and sharing with us tonight. A Korean veteran, the U.S. Army. Phil, welcome to Lighthouse Live. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You served near Brothers Unit. Tell us about Brothers Unit. Where is that and what's that about? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I went in in 50, and we went to uh, Camp Carson, Colorado. And about three months later, they said they were going to ship us out to uh, FECOM. I, didn't, I don't know what that was. But then uh, we went from there. From there we went to uh, 51. Uh, right after January, February, we went to uh, uh, Fort Lawton, Seattle. And then I, I was asking where we're going to go. And they says, I don't know where they're going to put us in the boat. I says, I get seasick. <laughs> so uh, no we were going we to get on the ship, and they pulled us off, and we had to go to Fort Lewis for uh, uh, commando combat training. Hmm. Then we got on the ship. I got to Japan. And uh, the guys were saying, where are we going? I says, I don't know. And then from there, they we got on a ship and we went to Korea. And uh, that was in uh, uh, about the middle of April of 1951. And I landed in, uh, made the landing in Incheon. And they were pushing the, the Chinese back then. So uh, when we got there, they didn't give us any shells or anything like that. So... They put us in a great big warehouse. We worked about a mile, mile in. And there were, I remember there was no roof. And then pretty, there was about a couple of hundred guys, you know, and all of a sudden I heard a lot of shooting. And the guy, I was the youngest one there. And the guys would say, we're going to get killed. And I was with a, a lot of Italian guys from uh, from New York and New Jersey. And they were saying, uh, we're, we're going to die, Phil. I says, you know, I says, no, you know. So they kept on. So I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Until, uh, well, I, I felt my bayonet, and I says, fix bayonets. Uh, so we did, and, they, and they, they got the guy that was shooting the forty-five, and it was a sergeant that was uh, on a three-day leave. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Brothers is not a place, that's my notes. He served right on one hill, and his, his brother was on the other hill. <laughs> it's not a location, it's a note. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't okay. specify that. So we got, we, we, they got a hold of the guy. We wanted to shoot him, and we didn't. <laughs> so then anyway, I was, they, we, we took off the, to our units, and then uh, they pulled me out of the infantry because my brother was there. So then I went, and I asked them, uh, what's the closest place to the front lines? And they says, you could go to the... 105's uh, infantry artillery unit. Infantry, what do you mean? He says, sometimes they're a half a mile away, sometimes they're a mile away, but you, you, you're going to support the infantry and the, where the 105's going to be right there. So I did. I went over there, and we got over there, and uh, they put me on the gun. And after the gun, you know, they put me on uh, uh, Ford Obser uh, perimeter defense on the machine gun. And then we got out of there, and, and I, I guess it was about... We got hit pretty bad, mm. and we were gonna we were gonna move. And this guy says, uh, Nick Peroni says, you want to you want to go 
with the Air Force? I says, yeah, you know, because I... And uh, then he says, no, 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 you stay here. So I stayed there, and he got hit. He got hit with a mm. machine gun in the back, but he missed his spine. I got a letter from him from Japan. And then uh, we, st we started moving again, and then we got hit uh, uh, pretty bad. And uh, uh, my gun was sticking straight up, and the guys were saying, man, they're going to hit us. Well, you know... You got 30,000, 40,000 Chinese coming at you. So then I heard the guys that were on my left, Company L from the 7th Regiment, going around the hill. And uh, That's all right, Phil. It's all right. Steve, uh, and this is all part of it. This is all, this is part, all of yes. part of the process. This, is, this yeah. is part of it because this, uh, Phil's been going to counseling for a time, but, you know, mm. some things you just never really get through all the way. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. you take mm -hmm. certain memories mm -hmm. with you to the grave, yes. and, and the horrendous violence and, and acts of wars are some of those. What we have to do, though, is to continue to process that and try to work through it and get these things out in the open and from that find healing. Phil's mm. come a long ways. I was, I was the very first person to see him. Mm. And so he's been in counseling for a little while, about a year now, I think it is, gone to groups. And mm. uh, he's a blessed man, I guarantee you. He's, he's a great guy. And, uh, um, and I'm also finding that it's John, right? Al. Al is a Navy corpsman, too. So, yeah. Man, just and uh, today. Big John, yes, the Energizer John. Bunny, is a yes. Korean War vet there's, as, there's uh, another Korean vet as well. Absolutely. So what I did was uh, the guys were saying, keep it going, Phil. What else can you do? Mm. But then I heard a voice. Philip! And it was my brother, Sammy. Mm. Mm. So I, I got my rifle and, I, and my bandolier, and I was going to go with him. And these two sergeants said, you can't go, Phil. You cannot go. So he told me, uh, you stay there. I'll see you when I get back. And he was on my left. Oh, maybe a 30 yards, 40 mm. yards. But they were going around the hill to push the Chinese back. And uh, th this one kid, this Puerto Rican kid, Felix, he couldn't load the gun up. He would, and I said, get out of the way. So I got that run. I was, I was just shoving him up there. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the gun started going down again. And, uh, you know, I saw the shells coming in, you know, in the front of us. So any, anyway, what happened was after that, about, about, a, about a week later, here comes my brother. He came to see me. And he says, you all right? I says, yeah. He says, you sure? I says, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm fine, you know. I says, you know, he says, we, we got hit pretty bad. I says, yeah, I know. So anyway, he took off, and then I wanted to see him. But when I got up to the, I got a letter from my captain, Captain McDonald. He was a good man. And he gave me a letter that I could go to the front lines. And when I went up there, the guys were saying, I says, where's Sammy? Because he, he got hit in the leg with a grenade. So he says, you got to go down. We're going to get hit right now. I says, I'm staying here. So the lieutenant says, you can't stay here. You got to go back. So I went back. So then after that, uh, we were going to make a move. 
and I don't know what's wrong with the first lieutenant. I guess he, he got he's got scared because we were make. Is that a rhetorical question about <laughs> first lieutenants? I'm sorry, I digress there. Go ahead. So then we we went to make the move to another position, and the guy had us in the front lines. He had us in between the infantry and the enemy, and, we, and the guys, you know, we got there at, like at dark and we put our tents up, and we heard a lot of noise, you know, and and there were South Koreans that had took off from the front lines. And uh, they says, go, go see what they are. They says, send a yala. I said, they want to send me, you know. So then uh, I had two good buddies, you know, two good Korean buddies. And I had learned a little bit of Korean. And I, and I, I told Kim Young, I said, Iriwa, Iriwa. So, I, you know, I told him, see what they were. And, and they were the 5th Rock Division that had split. And then after that, it was in the morning. And we went back, went into our position. So we were going to get hit again. And uh, this time the shells were coming in front of me, and the, and I saw these guys, my buddy, running, and I says, "This guy's got to get down because the enemies, the UFOs are, are nailing him." So when when he went by me, I grabbed him and I says, "Get over here and stay here." So we got on the fire mission again, and I guess we must have got some of their artillery, but it was going to be morning. It was about maybe four o'clock in the morning, and all I could hear was. Shh, and when I got up, you know, when I when it's daylight, I had shrapnel all around me. And I knew the Lord was with me. Hmm. Mm. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. So then we made a <clears throat> another move. In fact, I met a guy yes Saturday at the at the restaurant. He came and looked at my hand and he goes. Korean vet, I says, yeah, and we talked a little bit. He says, I was in Korea, too. He says, you were? He goes, yeah, in 1952, you know, 51, 52. And he says, I was in the Cherwan Valley. I says, so was I. So we started talking a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, I saw a lot of the guys getting hit. They were friends of mine, the Koreans. Then they sent me home. Mm. We were all waiting for the train. Everybody loaded up except me. The, the lieutenant had my orders in his back pocket. And the guy said, come on, let's go. So we came, we came home. And we had to be careful when we landed in San Francisco because of the, <laughs> some people didn't like it. <laughs> you know, so anyway, from there, I went home on leave. Then I went back to uh, Fort Lewis. And, and when I went there, my first sergeant was, the, the, the company sergeant was was my sergeant in Korea, Sergeant Gibbs, and uh, he says, "What you come back for? You, you had a day's grace." I says, "Well, I, I didn't know." He says, "Now I got to send you to Nevada after all this," so I had to go to the atomic war test in Nevada. Mm. You know, and that was just as bad, you know. So anyway, and I got out, and I started working, and then I went to school, and uh, I started drinking a lot. Mm. To get angry. Sure. But things are better now, right, Phil? They couldn't talk to me. And then I, and then I got in 60, I got married in 60, and then, you know, well, my second wife, we, the first one. So then anyway, and I, had my, I had my children, you know, they were about mm. maybe four, five, six years old. Mm. Uh, Steve knows two of my girls, and my wife would say, don't go wake daddy up. <laughs> mm. Mm. If you're going to wake him up, Say daddy or just touch his toes, but don't go get him while he's sleeping because I, I would get up and sure 
And, you know, well, Phil, we're we're bumping the clock just a little bit, and I don't mean to to uh, derail you. And, no, and God's time is eternity, but unfortunately, ours isn't. But Lynn, you know, it's very interesting, uh, Steve and Phil, as we're we're looking back, we're, we're talking about stuff over 50 years ago, yes. and yet, uh, you know, that stuff cuts it deep. Sure does. And uh, the process of of dealing with it is something that's going to take time. And Steve, maybe you can address this because I'm going to come at this from. You know, something that, that I found out uh, in, in, in the pastorate is we can be very, we can use Romans 8.28 in a very flippant way. Yes, we can yes, use, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, the old is gone, the new has come in a yes. very insensitive yes. way. Uh, we have just maybe about four minutes left. Let's, let's talk about uh, this um, and, and just bouncing off of what, what Phil has told us. He walks into a pastor's office or a church, maybe, and, and starts to unload this. How can we be better okay. at fielding this yes. kind of uh, question or, or these type of emotions as they're coming I'll out? try to keep it short, but basically, uh, after I did my master's in counseling, I went to two years of Bible school to become a Christian counselor, too. And one of the things that was said in there was really shocked me and said that in the pastoral situation, we we heard about as many as we help. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, true. And that's because yeah. um, people can take this disorder and put a spiritual, heavy-duty spiritual connotation to it, when in fact it's it's really not that. It yeah. is not a spiritual problem. Uh, the belief system can break down, but what you have is a psychological disorder along with a, a chemical disorder in the brain, right. and we have to st- straighten those things out. So it's like using a hammer where you need to use a screwdriver or using a screwdriver when you use a hammer. You know what I mean? We have to deal with uh, apples to apples, oranges to oranges, and that means that we need to let the professionals get in there Amen. make a clear assessment. Uh, many physicians, in fact, who are out there, and bless their hearts, but they misdiagnose this as anxiety or a depression disorder, and if you keep coming back, they'll consider it bipolar. You know? yeah. Sometimes you're anxious, sometimes you're depressed. Sure. But the real clinical diagnosis is post-traumatic stress disorder it stands upon its own it does have gravity meaning that you can get anxiety you can get depression but you can get all these other symptoms too uh the key thing is that and kind of looking at this and, and how deep this cuts phil is not my oldest client <laughs> i have amen. world war ii vets amen. can you imagine amen it's amazing mm. uh again i'd like to give us a give that number out of yes can, please because do, i know there are people in the listening audience yes. and first of all if you've served uh, God bless you for that. And I'd like yes. to read a little poem if yes. it's okay sure. with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, but let me first give you the number again. It's 800-496-8838. Make that call. This may be the most important call of your entire life. Mm-hmm. We understand what you're going through, and we are here to help. And uh, I will guarantee you that, that uh, you'll, you'll receive help that uh, you did not know was possible. Uh, we at the Vet Center... Uh, really, really, really have a strong, strong commitment to giving world-class service. Mm. And again, that number is 800-496-8838. And let me read this right here. This is uh, something I think is really, really great. It says, It is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to assemble. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes the flag. 
And today I bring my Amen. guests here. They're dear friends of mine. They're great men. They're men of valor and honor. And their eyes will probably roll by my saying that because it's hard to accept a compliment. Sure. But I want to thank each and every one for their service Absolutely. to the people out there, men and women who have served and are presently serving. And to you, Amen Pastor to Mike and Elaine, bless oh, you guys. Steve thank Lawson, you, Steve. thank All you, right. Pauline, thank, thank you, you John, Rudy, Phil. Thank you so much. And dear friends, thank you at home, wherever you may be listening. Be sure and join us again next week when our very own Mayor Jim Ridenauer will be our guest. Have a great week. And until then, may God continue to bless you.